Well, hey there, Mountain family. How we doing? Hey, hey, big welcome to you. If you're watching online, welcome. Uh, hey, Mountain Road Campus, let's give a big shout out to all of the other campuses. I don't know if you know this, Aberdeen just celebrated their first birthday. So they're like a bunch of toddlers running around making a mess. Happy birthday, Aberdeen. Welcome to Edgewood. Welcome to Abingdon, and welcome to Mountain Road. We're, uh, we're excited about this series. Uh, we're in the series called, What If Jesus Was Serious? And we're asking that question. We're posing the question. We're reckoning with the question, like all that stuff that Jesus said to us, like the stuff that Jesus said about how we should live our life, was he being serious in those commands, in, in those suggestions, in carving out that path for us to live? And all that stuff that Jesus said way, way back then, was it still applied to our lives today? Like, was Jesus serious? Should we listen? Maybe you've had people before in your life who, who have given you advice that you haven't listened to very well. I know, like, I've got kids at home, so this happens daily, right? You feel me? So my daughter, just last week, okay, she came home uh, after church last Sunday, and my wife had just gotten back from the grocery, and my wife had bought a big old bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos. Any Flaming Hot Cheeto fans? Oh, there are. I thought my kids were the only ones, okay? And she comes and says, Dad, can I have some Flaming Hot Cheetos? And I look at her and say, yeah, Ella, you can have some, just one bowl. Just one bowl of Flaming Hot Cheetos. Well, the day goes on. I go about my business. I go to bed. I get up the next morning. I'm at the gym, and I get a text from my wife about 6.45 in the morning, and she says, hey, Ella's not feeling too well. She's hunched over the toilet throwing up, and it looks like Cheetos. It's like, well... That makes sense. So I get home. I kind of rush home, and I go, and I sit next to my little Ella. I'm like, you feeling okay? And she says, yeah, Dad. I guess I shouldn't have had four bowls of Flaming Hot Cheetos. I was like, yeah, maybe. Maybe that was a bad idea. I tried to give you that advice, but you didn't take me seriously. Or, like, rewind six, seven years ago when my 12-year-old son, Isaac, was a lot younger, and he thought he was king of the world, and we'd go to the playground, and he would scale the playground. He'd want to jump off. He'd go up a few feet, jump, a few feet more, jump. And then I'd say, hey, just don't jump from the top, okay? That's a bad idea, right? We can all agree. Jumping from the top of the playground is always a bad idea. But he doesn't listen to me. He thinks he's Batman, and he jumps off and proceeds to break his collarbone, Okay? Or, like, let's just rewind to yesterday when my wife says to me, hey, can you move all of my clothes from the washer and into the dryer, but don't move my sweater? Like, well, I don't know which one's her sweater, so I'll just move it all. And guess what? Now my daughter has a new sweater because I shrunk the heck out of it, all right? Like, we're given advice. We're told how to live. We could take it seriously or we can ignore it. In this series, well, we're talking about stuff a lot more important than flaming hot Cheetos and how to dry a sweater. Now we're looking at the words of Jesus, and these aren't just words of advice, they're words of life. It's like when Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, then pick up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means to live the way in which Jesus lived, by doing the things in which he prescribed to us to do in this life. To take him seriously when he tells us the best way to live. And so we ask the question, what we're doing, we ask, what if Jesus was here? What we're trying to do is just kind of poke at the heart, the heart of each of us, and say, let's really wrestle down this question, and let's take our own pulse on whether or not we're really taking Jesus seriously. Like when Jesus tells us not to eat the entire bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos, are we actually going to listen, all right? Or our desires just so strong that we're only going to listen to the part that we want to, the part that we like, and ignore the parts that are too hard or conflict with our own desires. 
Don't get me wrong. I realize we are saved by faith, not by works. But the reality is that if you have given Jesus his place in your life, if you say, I am a follower of Christ and I am walking with him, then that should shape and mold the very way in which you live. It should change the way that you interact with the world around you, with the people around you. It should change the way that you interact with your work or your school, with people, with things, with money. It should infiltrate each and every aspect of your life. If we take Jesus seriously, that's what it looks like. Our life is a reflection of him. In the Sermon on the Mount that we're talking through together, it's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it there. It's where Jesus stands up and he gives this famous sermon. He flips the script. He says, this is how you live. And it's a way that that ushers in radical love, unconditional love. And it's so different from how the world around us would act or represent. And it's a way that brings honor to God. It's the guidebook for how we can make the most out of this life. And it showcases the love of Jesus in our lives. Let me put it this way, okay? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you're walking with the Lord, if you follow Jesus, then that means that he should be taking up residency in your heart. We'll allow this little stick figure friend of mine here to represent what it looks like for us to have a heart. Okay, let's get the heart pumping. Here we go. Ready? There it is. Oh, we even have sound effects. How beautiful is that? And what I would ask you right now is, what is the king of your heart in your life? Because what Jesus says is that if we follow him, then this is now his. And everything that flows from that heart should be a representation of who Jesus is to us. And it is a challenging way to live. And it's not a way in which we just pick and choose the pieces we like. But it's a fully encompassing life that honors Jesus in each and every single step, each and every single action. As we hop into the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be in chapter 6 today. And I want to look at some really important topics that that, that the book of Matthew, Matthew's writing down the words of Jesus, that he kind of runs through pretty quickly. But I think they're all very important with us. But we have to start by reckoning with who sits on the throne of our heart. Who is the king of our hearts? It's got to start there. Are you walking with Jesus? If so, then is the way that you're interacting with the world around us a good representation of the fact that you take Jesus seriously? In the book, What If Jesus Was Serious, we're, we're kind of given two different postures of the heart, okay? And one is the modern view of the heart. And that's where it says, hey, you know what? We take into account all of the stuff from the world around us, you know, the, the way that people live, what culture says, the content that we take in. We take all of that in, and that ultimately is what shapes our hearts. But the ancient view of the heart, the, the, the one that Jesus is talking about, is one that says, no, no, we flip the script on that, and it's the other way around. No, the heart is how we, in fact, see the world around us. Like, whatever has this will ultimately control how we see all of this and how we interact with it. And so we've got to do some heart work and ask, like, really, who, who is the king of your heart. And if it's Jesus, then it's your desire to be a bringer of his kingdom into the world. 
That's why the Bible speaks so often about heart work, okay? We, we see it in Matthew chapter 12. It says, for the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke chapter 6, it reiterates that point. If you go to Proverbs, it says, protect your heart, for it's the wellspring of your life. The heart will ultimately determine how you see the world and how you interact with it. In the Sermon on the Mount, well, Jesus is trying to help us understand the ways in which if he is the king of our heart, we should live this life. And in this section, well, Jesus actually starts there, and here's what he says in Matthew. He says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like if you were to do a little inventory of your treasure in this life, that is going to be a clear indication of where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's clear that the path to following Jesus, the path of righteousness, a life of positioning Jesus on the throne of our heart, it should be working itself out in every single aspect of our life, our personal life our work life, our school life, our married life, our friendship life, and in every single detail of it. And if Jesus is the object of your affection, the thing you love most, if he's the king, if his throne is placed on your heart, then everything else should flow out of that. After all, we can only have one ultimate thing. We can only have one king. I don't know if y'all know this, like this is something to get pretty pumped about. So at all the campuses at home, wherever you are, I want to I I hear you hooting and hollering, okay? Because guess what next week is? It's Easter, y'all. Are you pumped? Yeah. I know I can't wait because what Easter is, is it's the day in which we glorify and we celebrate the resurrected king, Jesus. And if we can have only have one ultimate thing, next week is the week that we celebrate the ultimate thing. And we're going to have a baptism splash next week. And i got to tell you, if you're one of those people who say that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, that say that, like, I am following Jesus, that's what this life is all about, the ultimate thing in my life, the king of my heart is Jesus, and you haven't expressed it yet in baptism, then take Jesus seriously, and let's celebrate it next week together. All right, we're going to have an opportunity for baptism at all of our campuses. And I would invite you, sign up ahead of time or show up and get ready to get dunked because we're going to celebrate over and over and over again people who are making Jesus the ultimate thing in their life. If our heart shows that he's the ultimate thing, if we're saying he's the ultimate thing, then let's, let's look at how it plays itself out in some different aspects of our life, okay? We're going to go back to our stick figure friend here uh, that, that's leading us through today's message, okay? Because here's the deal. If Jesus is the king of our heart, then the first thing we have to get straight when we look at Matthew 6 is that if we're going to take Jesus seriously, we can't serve two masters. And we'll just use his little stick figure hands to represent that, okay? If we're going to take Jesus seriously, then we cannot serve two masters. Our heart can only be subject to one. That's the thing we've been talking about. And Jesus knows that only one thing can have our allegiance. If one thing can be king and one thing only, and many things in this life compete for that place, 
then it's so important that we continue to elevate Jesus. But Jesus knows, and he says it in these next passages that we're going to read, that the thing that competes most with God in this world, do you know what it is? Let me show you. Okay, here's what the scriptures tell us next. It says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. But you can't serve both God and money. It turns out that the number one thing in this world that's in competition for God's place on our heart, it's money. And the word serve there, it's an important one. It's a word that's used to indicate a slave, okay? This, this is not an employee. No, this is a slave who gives the master his or her full attention, who answers to the master's desires, whose life is guided by the master. Not an employee who can go get a second job or quit their job and move on, but rather whose life is fully devoted to the master. And Jesus, in this section, what he's trying to do in this passage of Scripture is emphasize to us whatever it is you serve, that's what will ultimately shape the way that you live. And the thing that's in most competition with God is the love of worldly wealth. And Jesus is urging us, as people who say, I'm going to give Jesus the throne of my heart, He's urging us not to find our security in worldly wealth or other features of this world because eventually those will fade away. They do not last. But instead, find it in God. Because God will never fade away, will never perish, will never leave you. And Jesus, I think he specifically calls attention to money here because wealth is a sneaky idol. It's so sneaky, and it makes us feel like we have no need to trust God. It's the reason Jesus says, remember, one is temporary and the other is eternal. I mean, think about the difference between money and God, okay? One, you're just never going to have enough of, right? We feel that. We know that. I'm often thinking that. Well, I could always use more. The other says, I'll give you everything you need. One, over time, will change in its worth and value. The other is consistent. One brings with it the fear of not having enough. Maybe you felt that fear before. The other brings with it a sense of peace, that God is going to meet all of your needs. The one leads you to only desire more, to maybe get a little bit greedy. And the other brings such great contentment and desire to give of yourself. One is temporary, and one is eternal. But they both want to be the object of our affection. Have you ever heard that phrase, like, you are what you love? It's true, right? Like, sports is such a great example of this. Maybe you feel that. I know, like, I'm a big Kentucky fan. I, I, don't, I don't talk about it a lot, I realize, you know. I'm a huge Kentucky Wildcat fan. I wear the shirts. I watch the games. I pay to go to the games. If I got to get on a plane to go watch my cats play, I'll do it. I text my friends about it. I listen to the sports podcast about it. I do it all. I'm all in. 
And when they lose in the first round to St. Peter, when we're supposed to win the national championship, I go into hiding and mourning for several days. It's clear that I love it. And while sports is just one example, we know that it runs much deeper than that. What does your life say about what you love? Your life is a reflection of your heart, what you value most. So what does your life say is resting on the throne of your heart? And Jesus opens us up to do some of that reflection. I would encourage you right now, start to do that reflection in your own life. What do you serve? How do you serve? Who do you serve? And let me be really clear about something that I think is super important. Jesus is not saying that money and wealth inherently is evil. It's just when it topples the king of our heart and it becomes the thing that we value most and that we seek most that it becomes evil. We got to keep Jesus in his place. And if we do, well, then wealth is just another avenue for us to show who is king, to elevate Jesus, to leverage what we have to bring him honor and glory. And so maybe it's time to do a little inventory, okay? Like, open up Facebook and see what ads it feeds you. It's always listening, all right? Always watching. It knows what you want. It knows what you're Googling. Go to your Google search history and just see what's out there. Maybe open up your bank statement and see where you spend the most of your money. Or open up your credit card or credit cards and say, God, what, what is the object of my affection? Am I trying to serve two masters? Because you can't you got to pick. It's not meant to be a guilt trip by any means. It's just a chance for us to really evaluate and ask the question. If you look at my life, one of the best ways to look at my life is to see what I spend money on. Who reigns as king? Is it my desire for more or my desire to give him more? You can invest in this world or we can invest in a kingdom that stretches well beyond this world. Like I said, money's not evil. It's the desire and the love of it when it starts to take God's place in our life. And so we need to ask the question, is Jesus our priority? That's the difference. The other idols of this world can control us or we can leverage them to make God more known. And it's important that we start there because as we move forward, we got to have that basis. You can't serve two masters. And our little stick figure, okay, he's going to move us to the next item here. Matthew, as he's writing down the words of Jesus, he moves from this posture, you can't serve two masters, to now saying, hey, what's going on in your mind? Because if Jesus was serious, then we'll stop worrying then we'll stop worrying. I already know what you're thinking. Like this world is so full of worry. I feel that, you feel that. I'm constantly worried about stuff. That, that is a battle I have not defeated yet personally. I'm worried about gas prices going up, supply chain slowing down, the way that COVID has impacted the way that my kids interact with this world. I'm worried about the potential for World War III. I'm worried about my finances, my health. And you have your list. Maybe you're worried about sickness, disease, aging parents, the bully at school, the test that's coming up that you need to pass, the big project that your boss has given you. Will I find a job? This life is full of worry. And we're pretty good at worrying. You know, 62% of people 
experience high levels of worry or stress. And that survey was taken pre-COVID. One third of kids today experience significant anxiety. After COVID, anxiety and depression has increased by 25%. Overall, there's a 50% increase in mental health disorder. Counseling practices can't keep up with the demand. Worry is all around us. And so Jesus says, hey, can I give you some advice? You guys want some advice? Check this out. Here's what he says. Doesn't get more clear than this, y'all. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. It goes on to give us a little bit of context about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow and reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus' illustration goes on. He talks about the flowers of the field and the grass that comes and goes. He says, how much more will I care for you than the other things I've created? And they have everything they need. And look at the advice that Jesus gives us there when it comes to worry. Did you catch it? Like, it's really mind-blowing and breathtaking. He says, all that stuff you have to be worried about, well, guess what? Don't! I'm sitting there thinking, that's, that's all you got for me, Jesus? Like my counselor gave me four steps on how to overcome my anxiety, and you're just telling me not to worry. I think I'm going to need a little bit more than that, okay? But let's remember the context of what we just set up with the serving two masters. It's only after getting the serving two masters thing straight that Jesus goes here. There's an assumption in Jesus' mind that people are starting to elevate Jesus in their life as king of their hearts. And he goes on, he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How do we overcome worry? It's by seeking first his kingdom, and his righteousness. It's by placing Jesus where he belongs. That is on the throne of our hearts. It's a pretty significant trust factor there. If we seek Jesus, if we give him our heart, if we elevate the reality that we trust him, then our worry will start to dissipate. And certainly those in the audience listening to Jesus would be like, well, you just told us not to worry about worldly wealth and storing up stuff here. So what on earth are we supposed to do if we need clothes and we need food? And Jesus is saying something very simply, saying, trust me. Trust me, I will meet your needs. Turn your mind away from worldly things and instead put them on godly things. And the grace of God will mold our hearts and help our worry to dissipate. As God promises, it says, if the birds and the grass and the lilies are cared for, how much more will I care for you? But we can only get there if we truly seek him. 
if we really pursue him. So we got to go back. I've got to say, who are we serving? You can't serve two masters. And if you choose to serve Jesus, then what Jesus says is, I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. And when Jesus is given the appropriate place on the throne of our hearts, then we can really start to trust. And worry starts to dissipate, and we lean on God's grace and his goodness and his provision for this life and all of eternity. Because we know that God is so much bigger than this moment, than our little glimpse on this world. And God is with us. It's only when we serve that master that we can have a posture like my friend Ken. Uh, Ken is without a job right now, and uh, Ken's had a rough go at it with jobs lately. I actually talked to him today, and I said, hey, Ken, man, how you, how you doing? Are you hanging in there? He's like, dude, I'm not worried. Why aren't you worried? Because I know God's got me. And what Ken did two years ago is he went for, through Financial Peace University. And it was in Financial Peace University when I was talking to him today that he said, you know what, for a while, like we were worshiping all this other stuff and we finally made God the priority. Our finances got straight and now I don't have to worry because I know that God's gonna provide. He's gonna take care of me. See, when we elevate Jesus in our lives, when we elevate God, he says, you don't have to stress because I got you. It's the reason that my friend right now who's waiting on the test results, and is pretty sure that those results are going to show some disease in her body. Says, I'm not worried. I trust God. I've given my life to Jesus, and he tells me to fully entrust every aspect of my life to him, and so I am. That's a perspective bigger than this life. We can surrender our fear by trusting God, by seeking him. You can only do that when he's on the throne where he belongs. And the third place I want to take us today, our little stick figure is going to lead us there once again. Well, Matthew, as he's writing down these words, he takes a pretty hard right turn here, okay? And now the heart's going to come up, and it's going to help us to imagine the ways in which we see the world, the way that we see people. Because where Jesus goes next, he says, you know what? If you're going to take me seriously, then you shouldn't judge others. If Jesus was serious, then we won't judge others. And I know that for a lot of us, we're like, oh, I, I don't judge people. Are you serious? Come on. I'm not that kind of person. But I think for a lot of us, like, it's a pretty natural posture for us. Like, we see something happening, we can't help but, like, have a little bit of judgment, okay? It's probably their fault, not mine. Like, do you see what they did? I mean, just think back to the last 24 hours, okay? If any of you are on the Facebook, and you go to the Facebook, and you start to scroll through, have you ever seen that post? You know which post I'm talking about, don't you? You do, the one where you're like, oh, I can't believe they would post that. Are they even a Christian? Or they posted that about... Biden, they must be just a crazy liberal. Or they posted that about Trump. They must be a crazy Republican. And we, we start to box people into certain places, and we, we put them in a place of condemnation. We say, well, those people, right? They act like that. They do that thing. Like, we kind of have this desire to judge, you don't believe me? Can I give you an example? Do you guys remember last Monday when you woke up 
and you heard about the slap heard around the world? You know what I'm talking about? You remember this? Yeah, you do. Who couldn't, right? It was on Facebook. It was on TikTok. It was on Twitter. It was what the talk was around the water cooler. You heard it on the radio. You saw it on every news station. And guess what? The entire world broke into a judging match. Well, Chris deserved it. He shouldn't have said that about Will's wife. Like, he should be banned. His comedy tour should be shut down. He should never be let back. You know, I'm glad Will got up there and slapped him. He deserved it. And the other people are saying, no, no, no. Will should be canceled. He should be thrown out. He should be kicked to the curb, right? Everybody immediately, when we see something happen in this world, we start to judge. Like for some reason, we just can't help it. And how many hundreds of other illustrations just like that one could we go through? We have a natural bent, a desire to point the finger at other people. And I think that's sin working in us. Although for people who claim to walk with Jesus, our posture, our view the way we see the world, the way we see others. It's just different. See, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is prescribing to us how to live. And just like the worry one, y'all, he makes this one pretty simple for us. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, the first verse here. He says, don't do it. Don't judge that is not your place. Don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you as well. Y'all think Jesus is serious? That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? The word judge there, it's a word meant for condemnation. To condemn somebody else. And let me be clear, and once again, right into the text, what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that it's inappropriate to analyze others and be a moral voice in this world. He's not saying we shouldn't have a judicial system. No, we should absolutely, as Christ's followers, look for every opportunity to inject the morals and the values of God into this world, to call each other out in a loving way that edifies. I have people who do this for me in my life. Okay, I do a lot of things wrong. And I have people who call me on my crap all the time, but I never once feel judged. I only feel loved because of the posture and tone that they take. And the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking here, it's the kind that's reserved only for God. Judgment is not a luxury that you have been afforded. We've had those thoughts before. I know we have. The one we're like, that person's probably not a Christian. Or, you know, they're probably too far gone. Or, man, that, that person over there, they're really bad. I've had those thoughts. I'm sure you've had those thoughts. When someone makes a mistake and they show their true colors for some reason, our grace tank has just been depleted. There's no recovery for them. And Jesus pushes hard against judgment. You know why? Because it's not our place. That is unless... Okay, there is a caveat. You know when it's appropriate for you to judge? Do you know? It's, it's if you're not a sinner. Like Jesus says that elsewhere in the Gospels. Like if you're not a sinner, then go ahead. Let's just real quick, let's take an inventory. I think this is going to be really important for us, okay? Every hand up high, all of our campuses online, everybody in the room, hand up high. Put it, I will wait. We will be here all night. Put your hands up, okay? Hands up real, real, real high, okay? Here's the deal. If you have... N- 
never screwed up, if you are perfect, if you have never fallen short, if you consider yourself to not be a sinner, then just keep your hand high. Oh, look around, everybody. We're in good company. Turn to the person next to you. Just let them know you're a sinner. Okay, I think that's really important for us. Tell them they're a sinner. I know you love to do that. It feels good. All right? Like, we're in good company here. We've all fallen short. It's not our place to judge. Jesus goes on to give us some advice about judgment. And here's what he says. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? I mean, how can you say to your brother, let, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's this big plank in your own eye? That's a good question for us to answer. And he says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The difference in these. Like, this is clearly, like, Jesus had a sense of humor, y'all, because this is comical, right? He's like, hey, your brother's got this in their eye, and you can't help but notice it and see it. This little bitty splinter, this little bitty speck is just right there lodged in their eye, and you're all of a sudden like, what is wrong with you, you sinner? You are such a bad person. Let me go and get some tweezers and just yank that out of there. And all the while, they're looking back at you like, what's up, crazy? Jesus, he's speaking in hyperbole, trying to make a point. Work on your stuff. Like, deal with your stuff. It's so important that we start right here. Yeah, other people might have that but be reminded that all of us carry this. <laughs> Deal with your thing first. When we realize that the reason we're not to condemn or judge anyone else is because Jesus didn't condemn us. That changes something. Because when we deal with this, it changes our lives. It changes our posture. When we realize this, well, we strive to be more like Jesus for moral purity to be a clear reflection of how Jesus loves us in this world. When we deal with the, the plank, the log in our own eye, when you recognize this and you realize Jesus takes it away, doesn't that help you to better understand God's kindness and his tolerance and his patience for you? When we deal with the log in our eye, we more fully understand the beauty of God's grace and his forgiveness. 
when we deal with our stuff. It leads us to no longer pretending like we're something we're not. And instead realizing exactly what we are, a sinner who so desperately needs the grace of Jesus in our life. And trusting that Jesus will deal with it. If we deal with our stuff first, and we're able to understand the bigness of his grace, well then maybe the Lord will help us to deal with this for somebody else, not because we're approaching it with judgment, but rather because we're able to sympathize as a sinner who so desperately needs Jesus. And we approach somebody the same way that we approach our own sin. Man, it sure does make us tender towards them. We're one and the same. All sinners who need the grace and the love of Jesus in our lives. If we're going to take Jesus seriously, then we can't see judgment as our thing. We can only see it as his. And if we're to be a reflection of him, we know what Jesus does with this. He gets rid of it. The question is, are we going to take Jesus serious? No longer seen people through the eyes of judgment, through a terrible sinner, but rather through a child of God who needs to be loved, to show compassion. If Jesus is the king of our hearts, then we'll serve him and him alone. We'll trust in him and our worry will diminish and dissipate. And we won't be so quick to judge others but rather to express the love of Jesus to them. It's not what if Jesus was serious. It's will we listen. And I know it's all hard, but I think one of the greatest parts about this Jesus thing is we have a God who can sympathize with us in every way. He's felt the pain. He's felt the worry. He's felt the temptation. He's felt the struggle. He's even felt death. But you know what the beauty is? He's overcome it. And guess what? More on that next week. What if Jesus was serious? And what if we listened? Let's pray. God, we come before you, God, challenged by your word. God, challenged by the ways in which you call us to live, to change our perspective. God, to give us more of a kingdom perspective, to see that you want to use us in this world as we give you place on the throne of our heart when you make you our king, God, that the overflow of that, it goes down to our hands and we serve you and you alone. It goes up into our mind and all of the worry that we have in this world, God, will start to dissipate because we trust in your providence. We trust in your provision. We trust in you and the ways in which you are going to lead us in this life and in what's to come. And God, we realize that's not our place to judge, but rather it's our place to live as sinners who have experienced grace and who can share that grace abundantly with others. Jesus challenged each of us right now to take you seriously, to place you on the throne in which you belong.
you deserve. Jesus, thank you for your love for us, that even when we come up short in all the ways in which you've called us to, your grace is still enough, it is still sufficient. We love you, Jesus. Amen.